Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey again, and thank you for joining me. I am Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass. If we haven't met, hi. Uh, and just in the interest of getting to know me, uh, my family likes to play Jackbox games sometimes, which basically it's a group party game that you play on your TV uh, with a connected device like a cell phone. And now there's one game that we play a lot called Faking It. The way it's played is that one person in the room is secretly designated as the faker, okay? The, the game tells them on their phone alone. And their job is to make it to the end of the game without being discovered. And everyone else's job is to figure out who the faker is. Now, this happens when the game asks everyone questions on their phones that players have to then answer, and the answers go public, and then they have to defend. And so the, the game may ask everyone something like, what is your favorite pizza, pizza topping? But the faker will get a different question. The faker will get a question that's something like, what would be a gross candy flavor? When the answers go up on the TV, the faker then has to defend their answer to that question as if it was the question that everybody else got. And that's when the yelling begins. Because the way to win the game is to effectively use the best deception techniques. So if you're the faker, you're gonna end up doing things like calmly saying, guys, I'm not the faker. I really love fish sticks on my pizza, it's delicious. Another technique is to loudly and aggressively accuse someone else. Cameron is the faker, I'm telling you, look at her stupid face. She's laughing, it's so obvious. Or maybe you get angry. You know, you guys can accuse me all you want, but you're being stupid because it's not me. I'm not the faker and now we're all gonna lose if you vote for me. And then, you can see I'm good at this game. And then there's the big guns, okay? This is the swear. Guys, I swear on the lives of my children that I'm not the faker. Now you may swear on the lives of your dogs depending on which one you have or which one means more to you. But when someone pulls out the swear, you know that the stakes just went up. Because basically to win faking it, you have to be a good liar or at least learn the right way to lie. And the reality is, is that we live in a world that's very similar to the game faking it. Lies and deception are all kind of expected. I mean, people lie all the time. They lie to stay out of trouble, to pad their resumes, pay less taxes. Uh, people lie to advance their businesses or to sell a car. People lie to gain political power. American politics used to put a premium on integrity and honesty a long time ago, but that has radically changed. A poll last year showed that a majority, 54% of people, agree that lying has become more acceptable in American politics. And this is not a surprise to us, right? I mean, we expect our politicians to lie to us, or to at the very least make deceptive and misleading statements, right? To advance their power and their agenda, which sometimes is our agenda as voters which is why we kind of like it. Okay, so for example, there are attempts right now to loosen restrictions on uh, purchasing silencers for guns. And I'm not kidding when I tell you that there are United States senators who say that the reason gun silencers should be legal is to protect people's hearing. This is a quote. Streamlining the burdensome process for obtaining a suppressor is important to protect the hearing of hunters and sportsmen across America. Now, 
I'm not taking sides on this debate, but I also wasn't born yesterday. Even people who are totally in support of gun silencers don't really believe this. But what's happened is that as cultural moral expectations shift, we've written new rules for telling a lie. Today, there's really no shame in deceiving people. The only real crime is in not doing it well enough that you get caught. Politicians lie to us all the time and we expect it, so we accept it. And it's a system that's built on the assumption of dishonesty. In Jesus' day, things were pretty similar. There was law about lying that was pretty clear. And we can see the first one here in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, 16. It says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And then it was expanded again uh, in the Jewish law in Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, where it says, a man who makes a vow to the Lord or makes a pledge under oath must never break it. He must do exactly what he said he would do. Now, that seems pretty clear, right? I mean, don't lie. Don't lie about your neighbor. Don't break a promise that you make either to God or to other people. I mean, you read these with kind of an Old Testament ethic and it seems straightforward, right? Honesty matters, right? But it's, it's just not that simple. You see, first century Jewish religious leaders and teachers, they looked at these laws just like everyone else did. And they interpreted them in the most flexible ways possible. Just like today, they created their own new rules for telling a lie. So, for example, swearing an oath on God's name was a big deal. Because, I mean, they didn't want to take God's name in vain. In addition to the laws on truthfulness, Jewish law commanded people here in Exodus 27, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. And so because of this, swearing on God's name and not upholding your oath would be a huge sin, okay? And, and the truth is, the people didn't want to sin. So what they did was they created this sliding scale of oaths that were different degrees of binding. So, for example, swearing on God's name is an unbreakable oath. But swearing on the heavens or swearing an oath on the temple? I mean, they sound pretty serious. Those are big religious things, but, but there's some wiggle room there. And as a result, a person could accept or reject an oath based on the quality and, and how serious they were perceived that that oath was when it was made. I mean, for example, if I ask to borrow 20 bucks and I swear on my marriage that I'll pay it back, you might take that a little more seriously than if I swear on this roll of toilet paper. And that was the problem. I would take it more seriously too. You see, the expectation and acceptance of deceit created this new oath system by which people could wiggle out of their commitments or just straight up lie and feel justified in doing it. And this was a practice that was used by very religious people. It was sanctioned by the religious people too. Now, Jesus steps in and Jesus spoke to this culture of deceit that is really very similar to the one that we live in now when he was teaching about how his followers should live out his command to love their neighbors. In Matthew 5, 33, it says this, Jesus said, you have also heard that our ancestors were told you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. 
Do not say by heaven because heaven is God's throne. Do not say by the earth because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head for you can't turn one hair white or black. So what is Jesus doing here? Let me, let's get into this. What is his intent when he says, don't make any vows? I mean, we make vows when we're in court or when we're getting married. Remember, Jesus is addressing a culture that both expects and accepts lying as long as it's done the right way. So he goes right to the justification that people are using to be deceptive. Knowing the way that these people think and, and how they use word games and semantics to justify their actions, Jesus does a little word game play himself. You know, he says, you would never swear by God himself, but you swear by heaven. And, and oh wait, heaven's God's house, he lives there. So, okay, so you swear by earth because it's a little less spiritual, right? But, but earth is where God kicks his feet up, huh? So, so that's no good either. Huh, so, so you swear by your own head because then it's all on you, right? But God's in control of your hair or whether you even have it, thanks God. I mean, and you can't even control that at all. Basically, what Jesus is doing is he's undercutting each of their oaths by playing their same word games and connecting everything they swear on, even the smallest things, connecting those things to God. Jesus does it again to even greater effect in Matthew 23. And he's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He says, blind guides, what sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it's binding to swear by the gold in the temple? Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it, and check this out, and by God who lives in it. And you swear by heaven, and when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God himself who sits on the throne. So what is Jesus's point? Is it to be better at word games than the Pharisees? Not exactly. See, oaths in his day gave the oath maker a sliding scale of wiggle room to get out of what they said. But according to Jesus, all oaths are connected to God because all truth is connected to God. It finds its source in God. Just like in the verses we've talked about over the last weeks, Jesus here is laying out a kingdom ethic for how his followers are to live and to think about this world. And, and let me boil all of this down and make it really simple for you, okay? Followers of Jesus will always be honest. In a culture where deception and dishonesty were assumed, oaths were necessary. Otherwise, how could you know if you could really believe someone or not? But Jesus is giving a kingdom ethic for his followers that creates the opposite expectation. It creates the expectation for a system, a kingdom built on the assumption of truthfulness. In short, 
Followers of Jesus don't need to swear to their honesty in certain situations because they're honest in all situations. Look at Jesus's final guidance in Matthew 5 on this. He says, just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. People who follow Jesus should be the most believable and trustworthy people in the world. Not because they play the best word games or because they follow the new rules for telling lies better than anyone else, but because they are simply and always honest. And why does this matter? Why is this such a big deal under the new law that Jesus gave for us to love our neighbor? It's because lies hurt people. Proverbs 25, 18 says that telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an ax, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Deception is not love. Lying is, is self-interest. It's protecting ourselves, and it's protecting our desires over the good of other people, over the good of our neighbor. We tell the truth because the truth is others-focused, just like Jesus' command to love our neighbor. And the first century church, they took this command seriously for just that reason. Look at how the Apostle Paul talks about it in Ephesians 4. He says, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And what does that nature do? It says, so stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for all parts of the same body. Our new nature, the nature of Jesus, is truthful. It's honest. It doesn't lie. It doesn't deceive because Jesus doesn't lie and Jesus doesn't deceive because he loves us. Let's tell our neighbors the truth because we love them. And now, now Jesus's command here, it's something that, that we live out individually, okay? That we are personally honest in our individual dealings with other people. But being part of the kingdom of God, it also includes dismantling the systems and structures in our culture that don't line up with his clear kingdom values and ethics. When we live with radical honesty and trustworthiness, it expands the values of his kingdom, but it also pushes against the values of the world, and it should. You see, it's not enough for us to just tell the truth in our own daily lives. We must actively work against systems where dishonesty has become acceptable. And if I'm gonna be radically honest, the church in America over the last several years has become a place that is way too comfortable with lies, as long as those lies push a political agenda forward. We've tolerated and, and even celebrated liars as long as they are advancing our causes. And we, I fear, have become a place that all too often believes and promotes clear falsehoods and conspiracies into the world at large. Now, I get no joy out of calling these things out, but there is too much at stake because as long as the church is willing to entertain systems of deception because those systems promote our worldview, we will be diminishing our ability to proclaim the gospel of Jesus as true. When we believe and promote conspiracies on social media with the same intensity and volume that we post Bible verses, the message people get 
is that we are just following the same rules for telling a lie that everyone else is. And they get the message that the gospel of Jesus is just as easily dismissed as last year's QAnon conspiracy. The kingdom of God, the world that we as Jesus followers are called to be living and building into existence now is one where we seek what's true, where we believe what's true, and where we say what's true. So ask yourself this, just a few questions. First, am I too comfortable being dishonest? I mean, is it easy for me to lie? Do I do, I do it to protect myself or make my life and relationships easier? Do I do that often? Second, am I comfortable with the deception of others? Do I too easily accept lies if they advance a cause I care about or if they come from people I agree with politically? Am, am I okay with deceit if those things that aren't totally true don't hurt me, if they just hurt those that I don't like? And then finally, am I a positive or negative influence in systems where dishonesty has become the norm? Does my involvement in the world, in my groups, on social media, does that involvement make it harder and more uncomfortable for people to be untruthful? Or does my involvement give permission to endorse and accept things that aren't true? Let's start by asking God to help us be honest with ourselves. I know that as we embrace the truth, the radical and loving way that Jesus did, that we will see a difference in our lives and in our relationships with other people. Because honesty is an important way that we love our neighbor as ourselves in Jesus's kingdom. Thanks again for joining us today. If you wanna learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.